0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. Uh, but as we get into the Word here, uh, I want to, to take a look at some things there. And, and I want to acknowledge a few things as we move through this. About how we can take something that can become very common, and and take a fresh perspective and a fresh look at it and see something uncommon come from it. Uh, so, if we take a t- take the time, excuse me, to take a look at this, I want us to see if we can come out with something fresh and new. Uh, I mentioned the the bulletin there. Want to remind you if you uh, if you didn't get one, grab one on your way out. You can use that response form to stay in touch, ministry requests, things like that. But as for the word this morning, I want to get into that. I switched up some things here, so if I can give it to you in the right order, I'll be successful. We're going to find a few things. One we're going to find is what this world has become. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. What this world has become, you'll see that in the scripture. This world had a a change and a transformation at one point, and it became something very specific, and it's good for us to know what that is. Another thing that we're going to find is your rights as a citizen in God's house. That's an important thing to know, to know, you know who you are and where you belong and then what benefits or what rights come with that identity. Those are things that we need to know. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus did through his death, specifically through his death. When Jesus gave his life in your place, something specific happened, and we're going to see what that is. So as we get a few things, you know, put together here, we have our, our roadmap laid out in front of us. We're going to get going here, and I want to start, if you have your Bibles, in the book of Revelation, I want to look at Revelation eleven 15. We're going to kind of start at the end here. Revelation eleven fifteen. So if you get to the book of Revelation, we're going to cover something. I mentioned before we're going to find out what this world has become We're going to find it here. Now, when we read this passage of Scripture, it's going to sound very familiar. I mean, it is a lyric in one of the most popular pieces of music known to mankind. Unfortunately, we only pull that piece of music out about once a year around Christmas time. And it's a wonderful piece to pull out and listen to. But when you get to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it should ring a bell to you in one way, shape, or form. It reads like this. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, if you're like me, a piece of music comes to mind, right? Handel's Messiah. You, you might hear it, you know, where everyone sings the hallelujah chorus and people stand up, and then you get to that line, the kingdom of all. Yeah, there you go. You know where I'm going with that. And so you get the, the piece of music there. The interesting thing to me is the power of that lyric where that music came from and and why it has such an effect. And then I've said this before in the past, and I really believe this. I think there's a reason why the devil would love to put that on the shelf for 364 days out of the year and let us pull it out for one day. Let them have that at Christmas. But let's not sing that all the time. Let me tell you something. That's a song we should sing every single day. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Start your days with that. The idea that the devil doesn't have rule or headship any longer in this world, but Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and in earth, should be the way we look at every day. And then that declaration in the end that he will reign forever and ever. I love the idea that the word will is there. It's absolute. It doesn't say, and he should reign forever and ever, or he might reign forever and ever. Or he could reign, as in like he could change his mind. He could get bored with it. You could offend him. Something could happen, and he decides, you know what? This just isn't worth it, and I'm going to back out. He will reign forever and ever. Pretty amazingly powerful idea, isn't it? And then I love the word will because of, of, of what it means beyond just the idea that it's absolute. If somebody tells me uh, or they need something done and I agree to do it and I tell them I will do it, what I'm telling them is I am going to change everything that is an outside influence against what I use my will to bring to pass. That wonderful, powerful thing that is part of you being made in the image of God, you have a will. Something so precious and so powerful that God refuses to manipulate it or or to control it because to manipulate or to control your will is to take away your freedom and it shows you what God values most and it's freedom and liberty. It's one of the reasons why this holiday comes around and I get pretty fired up. All the other ones can go fly a kite but you start talking about independence and freedom and I start thinking of the Holy Spirit because where the Holy Spirit is, there's what? Independence and freedom. That's right. Pretty amazing to see the things that God values. And we live in a world that's so filled with manipulation and control and attempts to put in bondage and and crush freedom and take away liberty. We live in a world that is so filled with these attempts to move in the opposite of the direction in which God so easily moves and, and has made it very clear that he values this above all else. We live in a world that wants to do things the opposite of the way God wants to do it. And when we begin to see and celebrate the things that God loves and that God values, it stands out to us. Freedom and independence and liberty stands out in this world as light in the darkness, the same way Christianity stands out in this world as righteousness against sin. It stands out as glorious. Think about liberty and freedom, the things that we celebrate. And I think you might join me in saying, yeah, that kind of floats my boat too. But what a great concept to consider as we begin. The book of Revelation 11:15. that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. As we continue to, to lay the foundation with that passage of scripture, there's things there that you can just let your mind soak on and think about. I mean... This means that something changed, right? Has become. Has become means it wasn't this way before, and it is this way now, right? The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Meaning before it was the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, it was the kingdom of something else. What could that have been? I'd like to know what that is to make sure I'm not still in it. Because if this is changing, and it's changing in the direction of Jesus being in charge, Jesus being in leadership, Jesus ruling and reigning forever and ever, I want to be on that train. I don't want to be on the wrong bus, right? I got a chance to travel recently, and travel is always unique, you know, in that it's, sounds great, and everybody likes the idea of it, but it's really a pain in the neck, and it's really kind of hard. And I remember going to a train station, had a very short amount of time to get there, and everything was going wrong to get to this train station, and you had to be on time, and there's a language barrier, and there's a crowd, and I look like a terrorist, and so I'm being kind of like, you know, evaluated as like, why are you here, can we look through your thing? I shut down an airport security, I did. I did have a knife on me, that's a problem, so it's kind of my fault, but They brought down the metal gates and everything. It was a real nightmare. It's a good thing that I'm not a terrorist, right? Wink, wink. Just joking. I get to this train station, and there's all of this mess. It's a total nightmare. And you get to the place that you think you're supposed to be, and there's a train. Train that looks like every other train. You look to your left, there's one looks just like it. Look to your, your right, there's one looks just like it. You, you look around, and there's trains all over the place, but you get to this spot, and there it is, and you're thinking, do I get on this one? What if it's the wrong one? So you begin to ask, and as you begin to ask, you're getting information, and the more information you get, the more confusing it gets. And I'm standing there with my wife and I'm thinking, I'm going to get on this train and we're just going to have to feel it out. That's not a good feeling. Very unstable to not know if you're doing the right thing to get to the place that you know you need to go. I'm stepping foot on that train, about to get on it, because I know if I get on this train, I'm going to be on a train at least. If I don't get on this train, I'm going to be standing here with a ticket that's good for nothing. I step on that train and then realize, I don't think this is the right train. So I step back off, and I'm glad I did, because it was the wrong train. We ended up finding the right train, and it was 25 minutes late, but there's a language barrier, so we don't know that. Phones are off. We don't have any alerts or any direction. It just happens to be that we make the right decisions to get on the right train to end up at our destination at the right time. And I can tell you, when you look at the scripture, you see this identification of the direction and and the things that we need to do in our lives to make sure that we get on board, going in the right direction to get to the right place. If Jesus now is in charge of this world, he's ruling and reigning forever and evermore. but it wasn't always that way. I want to make sure that I'm on board with what he's doing. Because if I'm not, I might miss it. And to miss it would be a really terrible thing. So I want to move from this to the how we can, can see and evaluate the things that he's doing. And I want to give a couple passes of scripture that will bear witness to what he's doing, right? We've already established that he will reign forever and ever. We've established that this is something that was done, it has become, meaning it wasn't always this way. I want to give you a passage of scripture that'll help us to, to clarify what's going on here. You can go to Colossians chapter one if you have your Bibles. Go to Colossians chapter one. We're going to look at verses thirteen and fourteen. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. You'll see something that has taken place here, something that has become, so to speak. And those two words are the words that I pay attention to when we read this passage from Revelation. Remember, that's what we're wanting to see. What was it and what is it? I want to live in the is, not in the was. I want you to live in the is and not in the was. If I find that I'm living in the was, what it used to be, and I'm missing out on what it is, what it currently is, and what the Bible promises it will be forever and ever, I need to make an adjustment if I'm in the was. I gotta get in the is. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. God rescued us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now, this passage of scripture is going to help us see what's going on between the was and the is. What used to be and what now is forever and ever will be is revealed right here. This work that was and is, was versus is, is going to be revealed in this passage of Scripture in Colossians. Was is domain of darkness. Is is kingdom of Jesus Christ. And those are things that I want to know and identify. I need to be in the is and outside of the was. Was. God rescued me, which tells me I don't want to be in the was. If I have to be rescued from it, I don't want to be in it. Name one good scenario that you would describe being removed from as being rescued. I can't think of one. If I were eating the best meal of my life and somebody removed me from that situation, I wouldn't say they rescued me. I'd probably say they interrupted me. It wouldn't be a positive thing, a good thing. It's only a positive thing and a good thing to be rescued if you are delivered from something that is uncomfortable, something that's perilous, dangerous. But God rescued us from this domain of darkness. Not that we need to illustrate that anymore. I mean, I don't think it gets any more ominous than domain of darkness, right? But this is what we've been rescued from and then transferred into the kingdom of his son Jesus Christ, where there are these wonderful benefits, redemption and forgiveness, those things that we desperately need. Redemption's a great word. I mean, it's more than just uh, uh, the idea of being pardoned, because that's covered under forgiveness, but redemption is the idea that, that we've been bought back, that there has been some ransom exchanged and that you can take a situation and turn it around. If you give me a scenario where there is a problem or an issue, I can forgive it, which basically means we just move on, right? But if I redeem it, it means that we make a change. You hand me a scenario where there's a task that's incomplete and it's a fail, and I say, hey, I can step into that and redeem it. What I do is I take that fail and begin to make the proper adjustments to see to it that it's a success. That is God's work in my life, that I'm not just forgiven, but I'm redeemed. He's come and he's filled in every insecurity. He's brought down every pride and arrogance. He's brought these things to a place where they'll actually work. Everything that was problematic is subject to his redemption, meaning God is fixing things, not just overlooking them. Not just pardoning them. Well, we'll just kind of move on from that and hope it works out down the road. That's not the love of our Heavenly Father. The love of our Heavenly Father is to redeem. To bring direction where it's absent. To bring strength where there's weakness. uh, To bring humility where there's pride. To actually redeem the situation so that it can be effective and successful. And these are the things that take place in the kingdom of Jesus. Not the things that take place in the domain of darkness. So I want to look at these things and contrast them really quick because I told you this holiday floats my boat and and I think we'll see something when we look at this. When we understand what used to be or what was and we know what is or what's available right now and the promise that it will be forevermore, we want to get out of the was and into the is. If the was is the domain of darkness, here is what domain is defined as in the scripture. Domain. An area or territory owned or controlled by a ruler or government. That's domain. Area or territory ruled or controlled by a ruler or a government. That's what was, and in this case, that ruler or that government was darkness. Now kingdom, kingdom by definition, area or territory ruled or controlled by a king. They don't sound very different. But the idea of these things is to understand that they are very similar. The idea is to come to the place where you realize that the, the rule or the authority or the government is the principle that's common between domain of darkness and kingdom of Jesus Christ. The difference is in who that ruler is. One, domain of darkness, meaning domain, belonging of, as a possessive word, Darkness. That at one point in my life, the rule and the authority with things that were unclean, things that were destructive to my end, my life, my purpose, my being made in the image of God. Everything that was in charge of choices, decisions, effects in my life wanted to see me defiled and destroyed. The other is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. One who will bring light into darkness. Life where there's death, sight where there's Blindness. Healing and health and life where there's sickness and disease and corruption. Forgiveness and mercy and grace where there's a a corruption of thought and mind and heart. One who will meet those needs, not exploit them for defilement and destruction. But bring about healing and deliverance for the purpose of life and victory. Pretty major contrast between these things. The domain of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to get from was to is, if the kingdom of this world was subject to the domain of darkness, but now is the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and it will remain that way forever and ever, I want to see to it that I'm in the is and not in the was. Here's a couple of confirmations on the is, by the way. I love these passages of scripture, and again, some of these only come out around the, the Christmas season, and they shouldn 't. They ought to be a major part of our lives year round. Here's just a couple of them, just for your notes. Daniel 7:14. Daniel 7:14 is going to give you a wonderful image of a very godly man named Daniel who sees a vision of heaven. Now, this vision of heaven is a very real thing that is set before his eyes, and it 's been recorded for the purpose of our edification, so that we can see. What's going on in the heavens? Here's a glimpse of what's going on in the heavens from Daniel 7, beginning in verse 14. It's speaking of Jesus. And to Jesus was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples and all nations and men of every tongue might serve him. And the dominion of Jesus will be an everlasting dominion. And it will never pass away And that kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I mean, it bears witness with everything we read in Revelation. That as the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, that's Jesus. He will reign forever and ever. That is where you want to be. That is where I want to be. Everything else is going to be destroyed. To build your house on any other piece of ground is to build a very temporary house but to build upon that which will remain forever is eternal. No wonder as believers we have the celebration of eternity because everything that we build upon and all that is put within us will never pass away. The more that we study these things, the more we examine these things, the more we allow these things to influence our hearts and our minds, the more consistent things become, the more things make sense. You begin to see eternity not as this lofty promise to try to bait us into Christianity, but you see that it's the right effect of a work that's being brought into our life that will never pass away and can't be shaken. You bring something into my life that will never pass away, then you have eternity introduced into my life. Here's another one for your notes. Isaiah chapter 9, I want to look at verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Now, this is one that does come out at Christmas time, and unfortunately, I think that's a bit of a a loss for us. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, right? You picture Jesus in the manger, the wise men gathered round. Now, listen to the results of this manger scene. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, And then verse seven is really where the action's at. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. He shall reign forever and ever. It's only going to increase. His rule, his reign, and the results of his rule and his reign attached to this passage of scripture, peace. a wonderful thing to consider. And then it begins to make sense why Jesus would preach the way that he preaches. And oftentimes we've gotten so far removed from that. You know, I mean, we've tried to blend the the works of Christianity and the call to discipleship in such a way that we could be effective, where we can continue to expand and reach new people, but also can continue to stay engaged ourselves. And so you know, church becomes sermonizing, and we want to share something of interest. And oh, if we can't keep our interest, we might lose interest and move on and be distracted by something else. And I remember one time preaching a message to a congregation, and it was a 100% a bullseye. It was exactly what needed to be preached to that group. And after that message, I was walking down the hall, headed back to my office as I normally did, and. Wonderful woman in the church, you know, came and stopped me, and that was wasn't uncommon. Somebody'd say, "Hey, wow, great message today," or something like that, and and she stopped me and she said, "Wow, pastor, that was a great message." I thought, "Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, you know." And then she said this, and I just thought, "Are you serious?" She said, "Yeah." When you started on that passage, I thought, "I already know this." (laughs) That's what she said, (laughs) and I thought, "Lady, obviously you don't know it." Or you'd never say that. But I understand what she was saying because for her, Christianity had become this treadmill of discipleship where... I want to hear something new or else I lose interest. Keep my interest peaked. The reality is God is is stirring in us, not this, you know, academic uh, achievement of Christianity to continue to, to do better, read more, I've read more books, I've gone to more prayer meetings, or this nonsense that it's become, but rather to grow in fellowship and unity, to continue to love one another and do great things together and instead we've we've turned everything into a program and if i can't keep you entertained it's going to be you know a temporary relationship until you find someone who can it's it's really twisted but to see what jesus is doing here to see how how he's ministered, it's really interesting. I mean, you read the Gospels, you have four books that are assembled by eyewitnesses of the, the bodily form, earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And you want to know something? That dude preached the same message over and over and over. And, oh, that woman would have hated him. <laughs> and the message that he preached was that the kingdom of God has come. Well, no wonder he would preach that, because that's exactly what's happened. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. You were transferred from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and that is where there is redemption. That's where your life gets fixed. Yeah. Nice. Gotta love that. So here's just a few ideas of how Jesus preaches. First of all, it says this. I mean, it literally says this. You'll find this in the scripture. And from that day on, he began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I remember the first time I read that as a believer, I thought, you know what? I'm going to start preaching every message by opening it with that. I mean, I don't, but I just thought, what an interesting thing to think that he preached the same thing over and 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 over, and and I'm gonna quit now because that's annoying, and over again. He did, though. You know why he did? Because that's the point. It's the point of everything he would ever speak. It's the point of everything he would ever do. It's the reason why he'd ever lay hands on the sick. It's the reason why he'd ever stand in front of a crowd that he knew hated his guts. And he would pour himself out. It's the reason why. Because the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. There's been a change in government. There's been a transfer in authority. And if we know we're getting on the right bus, we'll participate in that transfer and be transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to like that change. Here's a few of those passages. Matthew 4, 17. From that day on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Matthew 10, 7 and 8 he says, Go and preach and tell everyone the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely uh, as you receive, go freely give. Luke ten, nine. Heal all those who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. Matthew twelve, twenty eight, he's talking about deliverance. He says, I do this because the kingdom of God is at hand. I read these passages of scripture and I'm thinking, man, I get so seduced by the, the, the fruit, you know, the healing and the deliverance and all of these wonderful, miraculous things that really are fun to participate in. They're liberating to receive, and I've received my share, but they're really exciting as well to, to see happen. And we get so distracted by that that we forget the point. Why is all this stuff happening? It's happening because the kingdom of God is at hand. Let that let it, excuse me, intercede in your own life, in your mind, and in your heart, and let it have an effect to invade our prayer lives. Father, show me today that your kingdom has come. And let my life reveal to those around me that your kingdom has come. Teach me the wonders of the idea so that it doesn't just become a cadence in my mouth, but a reality in my mind and in my heart that your kingdom has come. so that I don't just become another one distracted by what's on TV. I don't want to miss the bus. I hold in my hand a transfer, an invitation to leave the domain of darkness and to be transferred into the kingdom of your son, Jesus. Let this reality be real in me not just a truth that I'm aware of, not just something that I would agree with academically. Let it be who I am. I told you we're going to find what Jesus did through death. I'm going to move quickly through the rest of this. Is one of the things we were going to find. If you have your Bibles or you want to take it for your notes, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. This is where we kind of get into the 4th of July. This is where we get into independence and the celebration of all, I believe, to be godly, freedom and liberty. Hebrews 2, I want to look at 14 and 15. It opens up with the reality that Jesus exists, right? That he was born. Everything that we would celebrate around... Christmas time, you know, the, the, uh, the birth and the, the, the coming of our king. Jesus himself became flesh and then through death died that he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Let me tell you something, just personally, okay? It's not in the notes, it's not part of the message. If you wrote that down, read it sometime this week. And just ask God, God, will you take this passage of Scripture and let me understand it, everything about it. I want to understand it from front to back, back to front, inside and out. Because there's a lot of things here to consider. One, it's another passage of Scripture that identifies that There is a change in ruler or headship, the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. That means at one time, he held that authority. Not anymore. Now it belongs to Jesus. And you start to see these things in the scripture, and it makes more and more sense. It starts to be more consistent. Stuff isn't just so spread out, but it's all connected. The idea that Jesus would come out of the grave and stand in front of the disciples and say what he said. And what he said was all Authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Think about all the things he could have said. He could have said, God loves you. Be okay with that. He could have said, sins can be forgiven, and I'd be just fine with that. But he came and intentionally, knowing that this platform is a one-time platform, I came out of the grave, I've conquered death, and I'm going to stand before those who will record this and pass it on to everyone who will come, and this is what they need to hear. You need to know this, all authority in heaven and in earth now belongs to me. Powerful. I want to wrap my mind around that. If that is the message of the gospel, then I want to understand it so that I can allow that truth to flow in and through my life and affect my mind and my heart and everything about who I am. Pretty interesting to consider. But consider this passage from Hebrews that we just read. Jesus himself became flesh, right? I mean, that's his purpose. God sent him for this reason. So that he might die and through death render powerless him who had the power. Had, past tense. I'm telling you, I write in my Bible and you know I'm just kind of a weirdo like that. If you do, I'd be circling that word had. Had is past tense. Had. Eat it, Satan. Had. You don't have it anymore. And the result of that is my freedom. So that he might free. Oh, I love that word. Do you like being free? Somebody asked me, how was your trip? And I thought, oh, I'm glad to be back. You know why I'm glad to be back? Because they're not free. You get off the plane in these other countries, and you know it would suck to live here. I'm happy to visit, take pictures of your old buildings, and I'm out. I'm serious about that. I take bad pictures, too. It's kind of a waste. Free. That's why I did it. Why'd you die, Jesus? So that I could go and take all the authority from the devil, so that he'd no longer be in charge. I'm in charge, and now you can be free. I pointed at you, because you're all by yourself, holding down this whole section. It's a godly man right there. He doesn't want me to feel like we're empty. I love you. He did it so you could be free. Let me tell you something. That ought to inspire something in your heart. I'm not going to get weird and start crying, but I promise you I could. He did this so that I could have that. You ever had someone sacrifice for you? Where you know that it wasn't easy, you know it was hard, you know it cost them. And they did it for you, and that's the only reason why they did it. There was nothing in it for them but loss, pain. so I could be free that's what I mean by read that passage and ask God show me what you're saying here I want to see it and you can feel the level of affection rising in your heart Jesus I love you thank you that you would do that so I could have that that it's not just something that we come in here and religiously acknowledge oh you have died for me thank you uh-huh. but that we realize this work was done so that you could have something and what could you have freedom Freedom from what? You keep reading here, and there's more to unpack. Freedom from what? It says it pretty clear. Look at this. He did this so that they might be free. Those who were so afraid of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. He set me free from being a slave. That is the measure of his love and affection for me. He'd rather die than see me be a slave. I'm going to let it stay quiet for a second. I love Sundays like this. I'll give you another passage of scripture here. This is one that we're all more familiar with. Galatians 5.1. You know, you start to connect these dots and you see all of these connections. You realize, like, wow, this is... This is real, it does make sense, it does all connect, it's consistent. Let me tell you something, you start to examine any false religion that's in this world, it is not consistent, it is so disconnected, it is garbage, and you get into the word, and I promise you, the moment I was born again and read the scripture, I thought, how could you not be a Christian? How could you not? You look at history, and you read the scripture, and how could you not believe? Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Jesus Christ set me free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That is why he gave his life for me. He chose to die so that I could be free. You know, we pull statements like that out around Memorial Day and all that. Freedom isn't free and all this. We put, we're very patriotic in our merchandising and all of that. Print it on stuff and sell it telling you, that message is no more profound anywhere else ever in all of the universe than in the gospel. It is the gospel. And the reality now that all this is to bring freedom makes me want to know, well, what is freedom? Because I need that. I want that in my life. I obviously long for it. I think I have an idea of what it is as an American citizen, but I got news for you. I don't. And if we've learned anything over the past few years we've learned that our freedom is very conditional but not in the gospel it is without condition Here's a definition of freedom if you go to the dictionary. Tell me if this helps you out. Let's just say you're in desperate need to know what freedom means. And so you go to the one book that will meet this need. You go to the dictionary. I'm going to look up the word freedom, and I'm going to find out what it means so that I know what Jesus did in my life. I want to know what it means to have freedom. You thumb through the pages, and you're like me the whole time you're thumbing, you're saying your ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, -F F, 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 F. You get to freedom, and you start looking for it. You find it, and here's what you get. Freedom, the state of being free. <laughs> that help you out, Eddie? It doesn't help me. So then you start going to, well, now I've got to look up free. And so you start moving the pages around. And you finally look up the word free. You get to free, and here's what you have. Not held as a slave or prisoner. There you go. Bingo. Not held as a slave or prisoner. Shoot, ya. Yeah. It is so that I would not be held as a slave or a prisoner that Jesus set me free. That's why. That takes Galatians and it changes it. It becomes something more than a cadence that we quote or something we throw in a song because it sounds pretty cool. But the reality is if I take that word freedom and I rightly define it and then I recite it and repeat it and I claim it in my life and let it affect my heart and my mind, it transforms who I am. It is so that I won't be a slave. It is so that I won't be a prisoner that Jesus Christ set me free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to that yoke of slavery. Nice. Write that in your Bible. That's probably a good place to end it. I want to end with with something very quickly because I told you we would find it and I I don't want to cut that short. But I mentioned this holiday floats my boat. There's something about this holiday that means a lot to me personally because of some awareness in the scripture and and I think it transfers. I don't think I'm unique in that at all. But around this time, I'll, I'll dust off some, you know, documents like things like the Declaration of Independence which is really what we celebrate. You know, 4th of July is not Freedom Day, right? It's Independence Day. July 4, 1776 isn't this day of victory, it's a day where a war was declared. It's really what it was. Isn't it amazing that we would celebrate that? Can you imagine any other country that would celebrate the day they started a war? Not the day they won it, right? But look at us. We celebrate the day we started it. We celebrate the day we picked a fight. You know why? Because that's where the courage was. We can all be happy when we win, and it's over, and it's no longer a threat. Or we can just say, you know what? You can kill me, but you're not going to take my freedom. And that's where we celebrate is the moment we said it stops right here no more and that's the party that's the reason for you know what even if we'd have lost we'd still celebrate july 4th you bet You can kill me if you want to, but you can't have my freedom. And a group of men sat in a room, and they made a decision, this is it. And we celebrate Independence Day, not because anything was won or anything was achieved, but because it was the day men said, this is going to stop right here. And they drafted a document that we call the Declaration of Independence, and then they sent it to a government that was abusing them. You know where we're at. We can handle this however you choose to handle it. You want to fight? We'll fight. But this stops. That's worth celebrating. And everything in our lives as as men and women that are called to be removed from a domain of darkness and transferred into a kingdom of light, everything that, that we have in our lives in the gospel looks just like that. Satan, it may kill me, but you can't have my freedom any longer. It may cost me everything. I may be completely exposed to all of the world. It may be embarrassing. It may hurt. It may cost me my job, my career, every penny I have. I don't care. It's over. You're no longer in charge. What a declaration. I remember when I was born again, it involved things like that. An awareness that this government that I was under that was ruling my life was destroying my life and abusing my life and exploiting my life. And I remember telling God, God, I'm sorry, I've taken something precious that is so valuable and I've squandered it over here and I'm saying, no more! And I'd like to be transferred. That was it. Born again. Taken from a domain of darkness and moved into the kingdom of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just like the scripture promise, that's where I found redemption. God began to fix the things that were broken. Where I found forgiveness, he began to wash away the things that were embarrassing and shameful. And his promise is to continue to fix and continue to wash. Pretty awesome. We gotta go because of time. But it's helpful to hear this. July 4th comes around, I like to recite the Declaration of Independence. Mainly just because I like to hear it myself. Saying to get it right, I probably get it wrong and paraphrase a lot of it, but that's okay. But if somebody were to ask me, Preston, what is the closest men have ever come to the kingdom of God? I'd say the Declaration of Independence. Wouldn't be somebody's sermon. Wouldn't be like, well, Martin Luther's, you know, this or that. Or, I mean, men have written some pretty rocking sermons. Maybe I'll make that list one day. But if someone said, Preston, what's the closest you think men have ever gotten to the kingdom of God? I'd say their strongest effort was the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds that have connected them to another. And to assume among the powers of the earth the the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they declare the causes that impel them to the separation. And we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. You know what that means? That means we're in charge, not them. And that at any point when a government becomes destructive to this end, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to put in place new government. laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. I think that's the closest men have ever come to the kingdom of God. I think it's the closest men have ever come to the gospel. Satan, your authority has brought abuse into my life. And I am now choosing to alter and abolish your rule over me. And I am instituting a new government in my life by accepting the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Because that is what seems best fit to bring the safety and the happiness that God has called me to. I separate from your destruction and I enter in to his provision. The end. The transfer of government, transfer of rule and authority. And no matter what you recite from the Declaration of Independence, you know, there's one part of it that people normally get, and they, they begin to say, yeah, that sounds familiar, and of course that's the, the unalienable rights, right? Life and liberty and pursuit of happiness, yeah. That's why I say it's the closest that men have ever come to the kingdom of God. Because it's not right. But it's close. You want to know what your rights are as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Which, first of all, you are one. Let me give you a passage of scripture and we're going to close with these. Ephesians 2 19. Oh my gosh, you got to read more than 19. You got to read. Listen, go to Ephesians really quick. We're going to start in 13. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were formerly far off have now been brought near. That's me and you, all by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace. He's made all groups into one. He's broken down every barrier and every dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh all the enmity, that means him laying down his life, took away everything that kept you from God. goes on to say that he did this so that he might make all into one, the one new man establishing peace and that he might reconcile them into one body through the cross. And having put to death this enmity, this problem or this challenge that we had, that separation from God, he came and he preached peace to those who were far away, that's us, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jew. And through him, we both now have access through one Spirit to the Father. Now, here's the passage of scripture I had in my notes. So then, right? So here's the result. After all that, so then, so then you're no longer strangers, but you're now fellow citizens with the saints in God's house. I'll tell you something, you think on that. I'm no longer a stranger, a foreigner. I'm no longer undocumented or whatever term we're using today. I'm a citizen in God's house, which sounds great. You hear it and you're attracted to that, but what does it mean? Here's citizen definition. One entitled to the rights and privileges as a free individual. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? That makes perfect sense with everything else we just read today. It goes on to talk about the, the government that's attached to that citizenship and being entitled to the protections of it. Just look up the word citizen in the dictionary and let the rest just fall into place. And so as I consider now the work of Jesus Christ, that I would be transferred from darkness and being a stranger far away, now being brought in to those who were near to be a part of this wonderful work that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to be redeemed and to be washed and purified, to to be raised up and to do great things. When I consider all of that, I have to ask myself, what would that mean to be a citizen in God's kingdom? Men ask themselves that if we're going to separate from tyranny and stop being abused and actually start celebrating liberty and freedom, what would it look like? And the best that men could come up with is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the best they could come up with, which is a pretty good try. Let me give you this from the scripture I'm going to refer to these as your kingdom rights, unalienable kingdom rights. And then we're going to end with this. I told you we're going to find your rights as a citizen of God's house. Here you go, Romans 14, 7. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's my declaration of independence to the devil. When in the course of the events of my life, It becomes necessary for me to break my political bonds with you and to take my place in God's house as his child. A decent respect for your opinion requires I declare the causes that impel me to this separation. I hold this truth to be self-evident. That God made my life precious. And that he has bestowed upon me certain unalienable kingdom rights. And that among these rights are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And to secure these rights, God has placed Jesus as my king. That any effort to interrupt or disrupt or to uh, afflict these rights... Enter into my life, it is my right to abolish that, to alter that, and to see to it that Jesus rules and reigns in that area of my life. You see where I'm going with this? I love this holiday, I think it's the closest we've ever come to the gospel. I want to pray for us this morning and I want to pray something specific. I want to pray for uh, awareness in these things. I'm all out of scripture so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. You begin to close off that you know Christian Declaration of Independence and it closes in a very similar way to the one that men drew up in 1776. That every effort in my life of God at work in me is an effort that he's established to see to it was best for my safety and my happiness. Whether I feel that way or not. I mean, everything about this work that Jesus has done in us and for us is to see to it that we prosper. To see to it that all the wonders and all of the effects of freedom and liberty, even though we think we understand it and we think we have our mind wrapped around it, I promise you there's room for expansion. All of the wonders of freedom and liberty come to pass. I think one of the greatest obstacles in my life in understanding freedom is being an American. Because what I've had presented to me as freedom is going to define what freedom is in my mind. And while it's a wonderful thing to have, I love being an American. There's no other country I'd want to be in. I can tell you that the freedom and the liberty that we read about in the Scripture is altogether different than the freedom and liberty that we read about in the Constitution. To be liberated from outside influence, to to be free from bondage and affliction, past choice and decision, to be liberated from the things that are corrupt and that are dark, to have actual freedom and be... uh, Subject to just simply the influence of Jesus and his headship as our king is really a wonderful thing that I think can only be known through experience. I don't even know that it can be taught with words. I'm pretty good with words. But that's really what I want to pray for. I want to ask God, will you show us freedom and liberty? Even if it comes in the form of a glimpse or a taste let it be known and understood bring to our memory the things we've been set free from that we wouldn't lose gratitude for that freedom and then reveal to us the days ahead where freedom and liberty continue to be magnified in our lives for your glory that's what I want to pray and ask for I think that's a noble thing to pursue this morning at the end of a message like that So if you would, just join with me. I'm going to pray fast. Just be in agreement or receiving, however you choose. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful country that we live in, that we celebrate this Fourth of July. We ask to go beyond our understanding of freedom and liberty. Let it transcend what we know here as American citizens. Let us step into the awareness our call to be citizens in your house. Let every one of those rights, that righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit be magnified in us. That when we see those rights infringed upon, things attempting to steal our peace and attempting to touch our joy and attempting to corrupt our righteousness, let us stand firm when the rights that you have established in us and for us and on our behalf to be removed from a domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of your Son, Jesus, let those rights be embraced. Let them be confessed and declared. Let them be cherished and celebrated. And above all else, let them be lived out for your glory. That when those in this world would gaze upon us, they would see those who indulge in, who love and enjoy, and appreciate a life of righteousness, peace, and joy in your spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to come to know this freedom, that we wouldn't be subject to anxiety and depression, that we wouldn't be subject to the darkness in this world, but that we would celebrate the light of our King Jesus in every aspect of our living for your glory and truly come to know independence. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at ChampionsChurch.com.